Welcome to the Matt Holmes episode of Sigma Sports Presents, Matt Stevens Unplugged. In our in-depth conversation, Matt shares some personal insights to life in the demanding pro peloton, including the time he stole his DS's sandwich and how his experiences as a World Tour rider have affected how he waves whilst on the bike. Lots of Matt on Matt action, folks. In fact, it's incredible value with two Matts for the price of none because this podcast is free to listen to at no cost to you. Hello and welcome. Are you ready? Because it's that time again. Matt Stevenson unplugged by Sinus Lotto Sudal rider Matt Holmes has enjoyed plenty of screen time lately, impressing in the breakaway at the 2020 Giro d'Italia on multiple occasions. But in his first season as a World Tour pro, perhaps his biggest achievement so far was winning stage six of the Tour Down Under, a stage that finished on the famous Wollonga Hill. But how is he adjusting to life at the top of the game? What are his goals for the coming season? And how will he fare in the first ever Wigan quiz? Let's find out. Hey, Matt, how are you, mate? I'm all right, thanks you. Yeah, I'm not too bad at all. But thanks, Matt, for coming on um, the podcast. Uh, it's very, very kindly, mate. Before we before we crack on, what I'd like you to do is to kind of set the scene for us. I don't know if you've listened to our pod before, but what I try and do is uh, get the guest to tell us exactly where they are in the world, and also describe your immediate surroundings in the room you're in as well, mate. <laughs> uh, well, I'm at home in Macclesfield. Uh, I'm not from Macclesfield. I'm from Wigan, but we live here for to be close to the track and hills, nicer roads. Uh, I'm just sat in the spare bedroom with the wardrobe with one door off, some spare <laughs> bits of bed, skirting board that I knocked off when I was putting the wardrobe in. Yeah, <laughs> so is that like the spare spare room or something? Yeah, well, it, we, we moved into a house that sort of, it, it was really fine, but We've written off our bedroom, so we're sleeping in the in the living room, and we probably have been for two months because we only do a little bit of DIY a day. Right. And, uh, but yeah, so this is the spare bedroom, but it's also now storage room for everything else. And and now podcast room as well, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, lovely to speak to you, mate. Um, um, how's things? I mean, it's um again we've had a we had a troubled a troubled twenty twenty, didn't we? And now um. Things are looking up, but we've—I think we've got a few, a few difficult maybe months ahead of us. But um, how are you and yourself, mate? How's training going? How's things with the team? I, I can see from your your social media that you're having to do your, you know, the first lotto training camp at home, aren't you? Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I didn't try to recreate a camp, but I, I've managed to keep going, I suppose, in the snow. Yeah, I missed one day when it was just—it was too—it wasn't too icy. It was just too dangerous. All the cars were not really accounting for the snow on the road so I turned back but other than that I've managed to keep going I just take about four pairs of gloves and change them every hour (laughs) (laughs) so what I mean obviously you've got the rest of your team out on the training camp I mean there's only so much you can do especially given especially given where you live I mean Macclesfield is a beautiful part of the part of the world but the terrain immediately around Macclesfield especially if you head into the peaks um it's pretty wild isn't it yeah, it is. There's so much snow here, really. That it just stick stays. You know, um, if you go away from the peaks, you don't have to go along, and then there's no sign. But it just, yeah, like it stays even in our garden at the bottom of the bottom of the cat and fiddle 
is pretty much where we live and it yeah it's just constant snow for the last few weeks so do you actually i know you said you miss one day so you're, you're clearly a bit of a hardy fellow you do you quite enjoy going out when it's really grim conditions uh, no but i enjoy it more than <laughs> going on the turbo <laughs> fair enough mate fair enough so where where do you um generally venture out to because it's an area that i know well i i live for 15 odd years uh in crew not too not that far away from you and yeah. obviously and my patch as a police officer was one of my patches was congleton and macclesfield so it's an, an area that i know well and i used to love riding in the peak district so whereabouts do you generally uh do your training rides then uh i suppose i, I when i moved here I, it wasn't that long ago a few years ago now I, I did loads of exploring i suppose but now i just keep i'm just boring i just go loop to tatton park or a loop around uh, Brickworks, Long Hill, Goyke Valley, and back. Yep. <laughs> that's it, pretty much. Right, okay. Combine, combine the two for a big day. Right. Goyke Valley, it's lovely around the Goyke Valley, though, isn't it? It's so, so lovely around there. Yeah, yeah, it is. What about, um, do you kind of venture, do, do you go over Cat and Fiddle much, or do you try and avoid that? Because obviously you live on the bottom of the Cat and Fiddle. Do you kind of, is that something you try and avoid? Yeah, it's probably, of, of all the climbs, it's the worst one, isn't it? With all the, there's loads of, lorries and stuff going up and down so i come down it pretty most most days but yeah i don't i don't go up it very often unless there's a massive tailwind <laughs> right okay fair enough to have you are you a bit of a a strava hunter or you do not bother all that kind of stuff um i suppose i have i have done you know i i try them in yeah. secret I, every rider <laughs> do get uploaded to strava <laughs> But it's all yeah. private, and if I think, oh, I might have got one, or if I do go for one, I check if I've got it, and then and then I make it public. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like kind of a, a selective Stravara, as yeah. it were. Yeah. yeah, fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Um, so before we sort of get on to talking about this this journey you've had, you know, you, you spent you know a really pretty successful, um, although problematic for all of us year you know with uh, with covid etc in 2020 but you had a you know a, a dazzling start to the year but before what i want to do matt if it's okay with you is just rewind a little bit i kind of want to understand how you first got involved in riding a bike can you remember your first memory of swinging and swinging your leg over a bike as, as a kid well what's your kind of first memory of a bike yeah so i can i suppose i don't know if i can remember it or there might be videos of it but i just remember riding up up the garden, we had a really, really long garden at the uh, our first house and trying to turn around the tree and just falling over every time and <laughs> refusing to do it. And then, yeah. Apparently I had a couple of years off, just didn't refuse to ride a bike. So so you had, a, you had a wipeout in the back garden and then got so fed up that you that was it, you had two years out? Yeah, not, not a wipeout, <laughs> just fell over. Right, okay. So when did you start to actually kind of fall in love with the bike then when did you uh kind of realize this was something potentially that you wanted to do uh i suppose when i started on the on the road really i, I started when i was eight on the right. drone went with my dad to uh just taste the sessions and then really just went what like once a week from then until i was about 12 uh, 10 and then yeah i suppose got a, got a road bike when i was about 11 and then Rode the road, rode some little crits around Preston Arena and stuff, and then yeah, just did it full time since then, really. So, and at what point can you remember any kind of moment? Obviously, you you became you know successful and stronger. Was it was it at what point did you kind of think I want to do this 
professionally? Yeah, I can remember that actually. It was um, <laughs> funnily enough. It was in. I went to college just for one year. Yeah. And as soon as I started college, and I knew it didn't actually have to be there, I was so <laughs> bored of it, and I thought I really don't want to do this for my rest of my life. You know, I don't want to be doing this a job where I'm sat in a place like this. You know, right. I really, uh, that was the point where I thought I really have to make a go at cycling. Right. So what were you studying at college? Well, I did the wrong things, really. I I, I, um, I did all right. I did quite well in my GCSEs and then got into the sort of better college, which only did really academic subjects. So I did um, geography, IT, PE, PE and uh, I can't even remember what I did. Right. <laughs> I really didn't go much. <laughs> um, so- uh, yeah, but... I, Thinking back, I would have finished college if I went if I went to the other college and did something more practical that I enjoyed. Like I, yeah. I love doing DIY around the house. I wish I'd done learned a trade or something that would have been really good. But uh, you, but you're basically so kind of like bored with uh, the kind of outlook. You kind of decided. So did you? So you're at that point. You're clearly riding a bike well and successfully. So you thought, right, I'm, I better put all my eggs in one basket and just go for it and try and see how far I could get. Was that was that kind of the kind of decision that you took? Yeah, it was. Yeah, that at that time, I was riding with uh, GB on the Olympic Development Program. It was called. Right. Okay. So that. So yeah, it was pretty serious then, I suppose. So. And then, of course, your first couple of years were with Rally, weren't they? Um, yeah. When you when you were really young. Um, and I remember then, actually, thinking back, 2014 was your first of six or seven years, wasn't it? Six years with Madison Genesis, which is amazing. You were that team for a long time, a real stalwart of the British scene, yeah. Madison Genesis. But do you remember the um, the team launch in 2014? Uh, you'll have to remind me. What, what... <laughs> well, basically, it was up in Milton Keynes, and, and I, was, I announced it. I was kind of doing the emceeing. And, yeah. I, I, and afterwards, um, we went to this bar, didn't we? And uh, you had never touched alcohol before. Yes. And uh, do you remember, and Roger Hammond, who was your DS at the time, kind of gently insisted that it might be an idea for you to have one drink. <laughs> I just remember you carrying this tray of drinks, looking at them like, oh, my God, what am I about to do? It was, I just, <laughs> and you were like, I think you're only like 19 or something like that. And you were this kind of young lad you know, uh, innocent lad about to have alcohol for the first time. I just remember it. it was very, very funny. Did you have much recollection of that? Uh, no, well, I just, yeah, every every get-together was just like that, really. <laughs> <laughs> and, what, and what about your time um, with Madison Genesis? Because obviously it was a the formative part of your, you know, notwithstanding the, the couple of years you had with Rally, how important to you were those kind of six years at Madison Genesis? Uh, really important. Um, it was it was just such a good place to be. Really, it was so, it was just uh, it was just really good fun. I suppose Roger always always said, you know, this is like as good as it gets. You know, you won't have this much fun anywhere else. And uh, yeah, I think he's right. It's just it was such a laugh, and so not not so much pressure. But obviously, we we there was pressure from yourself. But yeah, it was just. Yeah, it was really, really good fun, and yeah, up to you to make the most of it, I suppose, and try and because it's not like a, a world tour team where you've got staff for everything. It, it really is just you turning up to races, training on your own, and doing it yourself. So, 
So throughout that, so throughout that time, I mean, and, and Madison Genesis, you know, at that particular time, from like 2014, right the way through to 2018, 2019, before obviously 2020, you know, the British scene was pretty healthy. And Madison Genesis, along with a couple of the other bigger teams, had a you had a pretty obviously your your season was primarily based around obviously the tour series, the Premier Calendars, Tour of Britain, Tour of Yorkshire, but you had a pretty decent um, continental program to augment that as well, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, it was really good. Uh, like at the time. You know, thinking back, I think, oh, maybe I should have gone to France and and just sort of tried tried that route. Maybe that would have got got me to world so quicker. But yeah, back then it was it was really good. The continental teams in Britain, you know, you could they weren't so focused on on Britain. Even you had to, you know, you could they were they had um, Endura and Rafa were racing abroad all the time, and yeah, so it was it was sort of. Yeah, when I when I first joined Madison, it was it was yeah really good really good place to be, but it sort of got worse and worse with the sort of um, Tour of Britain qualification and things like that. It, it became a uh, you know not 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 easy to get out of. You know there was no way to be seen by a World Tour team because you had to stay in Britain, and yeah, it was difficult. So what were your? I mean, obviously, I mean, I think it's it's fair to say that looking at your results through that kind of period, actually, you've got some really interesting teammates like Tom Scully. You know, is now obviously riding for EF. There's a couple of lads who've made it up to the kind of next level. I mean, um, did you were you just kind of existing in the moment, or did you have more of a, a kind of long term plan? And did anybody tell you, you know, that you you had the kind of ability to make it up to the next level, or did it, or was it just year on year that you were building these experiences and then realizing gradually um, that you could make it? Yeah, yeah, I suppose I did. I, I, you know, I I was always confident in myself, and you know, I could see, and it's. You, d- you didn't get many opportunities to show yourself, but then I suppose, like I was, when I was fifth in Yorkshire, from then I thought, you know, I really, I can, I'm good enough to do it now. But obviously, it took me three years, still from from then to to convince the World Tour team to take me. So, yeah, it yeah. Was, um, I mean, the Tour of Yorkshire that was that was back in 2017, wasn't it? Where you yeah. where you were up there in the in the Tour of Yorkshire. Um, I mean, it, I mean, I, th- I thought I was commentating on the race. I mean, it's it's a really attritional kind of race, and and that I think when when you look at your results over the years and the kind of wins you've had at domestic level and obviously internationally recently at world tour level, um, the, the kind of hard without being a mountain goat, the, the harder the better. You, I guess they're the kind of races that suit you that are just really really grippy. Yeah, that's what I would say. That if it's just when the racing is really slow, that's what suits me. <laughs> <laughs> when it's forced to become really slow, then it's good. You know, I, mean? I think that was. A, I think there's a quite there's a couple of parallels between uh, the way that you ride and and the way that I used to ride. It's just like I was never the most quickest or the most explosive sort of rider, but I could go slightly quicker than everybody else when it was going really slow and everybody was tired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying you're that type of rider, but there was a certain set of circumstances that I that I if I used to find myself when it was like really grippy and sloggy and nobody wanted to attack that was generally when I could find something else yeah I've, I've thought about it um before and I, I think what what my strength is is you know I'm not the best climber or sprinter or anything I'm just really good at trying hard that's that's just that's my thing just <laughs> hard in training and in racing um we're going to move I think from bike racing to um 
back to your time as a pro in, in the UK. Now, I know obviously you rode the tour series and you're up and down the country um, and in between British races. Now, do you ha- have a favourite service station? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let me think. Um, ho- ho- hold that thought because we're just going to drop in a favourite service station jingle. It's time for what's your favourite service station? <laughs> uh, I can't. I'm not sure which one it is. I think it might be Oxford. There's one. All right. Everything. It's got like you can get like a curry. You can get noodles. You can get M and S. You can get. It's just got everything. But I can't remember exactly which one it is. I know the one you mean. It's just. It looks a bit like a McDonald's logo, but it's not McDonald's logo. Yeah, I know the one you mean. It's just off the M40, isn't it? Yeah, possibly. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I know the one you mean. It's just it's about oh god, it's just near Beck just out of Beaconsfield and you swing off if you're heading up the M40, not down it, if you're heading towards Birmingham, you swing off left and there's a little bit of a drive to get to but it's something like a little bit of a wooded area. But there's yeah. you yeah. go in and it's like there's just places to eat in a circle, isn't it, all around you? Yeah. <laughs> It's one of it's one of my favourite as well. I think it's Oxford. I think it is. There's two. There's Oxford services and there's another one. But that is brilliant, isn't it? And I think what we're going to do now as well, while while we're at it, um, you're a you you grew up in in Wigan. You're in Macclesfield right now. Um, what we're going to do now is um, ask you a few questions based on Wigan. But um, the question kind of format is multiple choice. So I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you a question that you just don't know the answer to. Yeah. I'm going to give you three basic well three a choice of three all right so it's time for the wigan quiz right matt get your thinking cap on mate here we go um you've heard of wallace and gromit haven't you yeah Okay, um, the famous clay animation characters. Now they actually live uh, fictitiously, but they do live in Wigan. Did you know that? I didn't know that. No. Okay. Now they live in Wigan, and I'm going to ask you what's the name of the street that they live on. Okay, and it's there's a choice of three. Okay, so it's the name of the street that Wallace and Gromit live in. All right. Yeah. Is it A, sixty two East Shepton Street? Is it B? 62 West Wallaby Street, or is it C, 62 South Chimney Street? I'm going to say A. Sounds about right. 62 East Shepton Street? Yeah. I'm afraid it's wrong. It is B, 62 Mm. West Wallaby Street. Sorry, Matt, not a great start there, mate, but um, I created Shepton Street off the top of my head. Amazing. Okay, (laughs) right. Question number two. Here we go. Wigan, this is true, is home to the World Pie-Eating Championships. Did you know that? Yeah, pro- probably true, yeah. That, that is true. Uh, have you ever entered? <laughs> no. No, you haven't entered. But um, what year has it been held since? Okay. So Wigan is the home to the World Pie-Eating Championships. What year was the first ever World Pie-Eating Championships? Was it A, 1992, B, 1993, your year of birth, I believe, yeah. or C, 1994. What are you going to go for? I'll say 1993. 
Oh, it was it's A, nineteen ninety two. Oh, mate. Now for a bonus point to try and lift you back in, um, when was a vegetarian option added? Have a guess. Oh, to the pie eating. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a clue. Was it? It was either two thousand six or two thousand seven. Oh, it's two thousand seven. It was two thousand six. <laughs> oh no. Oh, are you are you a vegetarian or are you a meat eater? No, no, yeah, no meat eater. No dietary requirements. No dietary requirements at all. So it's always a nice to sort of untick that box. Okay, question three on the Wigan quiz. You're not doing too well so far, Matt. So really get thinking about this one. Okay. When was the Wigan Wheelers Cycling Club founded? Okay, was it A, 1919, B, 1921, or C, 1924? Oh, um, it's a guess again. 1924. Oh, it's 1919. <laughs> oh, God, we could have a whitewash here. Oh, we could have a wig and whitewash on our hands. Don't worry. It's only a bit of fun. Here we go. Final question, Matt, on the on the wig and quiz. Then we can put you out of your misery. Okay. What two animals are featured on the wig and coat of arms? Okay. Is it a deer and a raven? That's A. B, a lion and a sparrow hawk, or C, a tiger and a unicorn. I've got no idea. Uh, Nor had I until I looked it up on Wikipedia, mate. So don't worry, just have a guess. Uh, <laughs> B. What was B? A lion. Yeah, B. B. Yeah, correct. Correct. On Monday, it was a lion and a sparrow hawk. Wonderful scenes. In Macclesfield um, for the Wigan quiz. So you got one out of four there, mate. Um, it was a reasonable effort. So that's 25%. So, so well done. So how, how do you, I mean, I'm in a race like the Tour of Yorkshire. I mean, I mean, I think a lot of the pros when they came over and did that race, obviously it was a remarkable success. It's a big shame it's being postponed again this year, isn't it? So the next Tour of Yorkshire we'll see is, fingers crossed, will be 2022. But um, it's just the roads. It's not so. It's not so much even the undulations. It's just the road surface as well here, isn't it? And you, you've obviously ridden well in Ireland as well. But there is something unique about British roads and the way that they're raced, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I suppose I've got used to it because it's what I've had to get used to. But yeah, it's. Uh, I do like it. And do you tr- primarily kind of tra- obviously at the moment you're training on your own? But do you like training it up with others, or historically going back from when you were based in the UK? Did you? always kind of sort your own kind of training out and do it out on your own uh yeah i suppose i do i do train on my own 90 99% of the time because i i don't really train like other people i do much less hours and just smash it around everywhere i go so i can't really train with other people usually so so you you basically get it done but yeah. you basically so you're kind of leaning on it all the time rather than pottering about yeah yeah. <laughs> so that's again it's uh similar with myself I, I used to go out but as soon as i went out the door i was on it and it was hurting um, <laughs> but i wouldn't do ev- ev- i say i do long rides but two and a half three hour rides were kind of what i'd do a lot of yeah the occasional epic like once a week but yeah. riding at that sort of in- i used to find if i rode really really hard in training and then rested enough sometimes a lot of the race apart from the critical points of a race were actually easier than training yeah, and, and it kind of, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, it's exactly what I do. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. I try, I try, I try harder in training a lot of the time. Yeah, 
<laughs> just talking a little bit about obviously you know this is year number two now with, with Lotto Sudal yeah. I mean the the winner side I mean when you look back at at 2020 um obviously a really un- unusually truncated kind of season although you had down under earlier on then there was this big break and you got back into it you got a lot of days racing you know Torino the Giro d'Italia when you look back um how was your kind of how would you sum up your first year at world tour level mm. I'm not good at I don't know <laughs> just say it was all right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it was good it was a it was a good sort of introduction to not have a full season I suppose yeah yeah but, um and I have to be happy with the, with, my, with winning a race. Um, yeah. Obviously, you rode the Giro, and you had a you know that that stage when you're away in that little group with uh, with Alex Dowsett, stage eight, wasn't it? Battling yeah. it out for the win. I mean, um, what was it? I mean, I was I was commentating that day. I was there. I mean, I, th- I think I saw you once or twice on the Giro. We're all in our own little bubbles. There wasn't a lot of opportunity to kind of interact with the riders from our perspective. But um, you were clearly, without a doubt, one of the strongest in that break. Um, but just, just describe how the last, how the last bit unfolded, because obviously, you know, Alex is obviously another British rider who I'd, I'd imagine you get on with, but, um, how was the dynamic in the breakaway knowing that they had two, they had Mateus Brendley and, and Dowsett, were you kind of always concerned they were going to one to you? Yeah, well, it was, yeah, we knew that they were, what they were going to do basically, but yeah, it was strange. We, I, if I could rewind, I would have done it totally differently, but I, I just sort of froze, you know, I, I just was still thinking these people are just superhuman, you know, and I, if I want to win, I have to do nothing and then try and win. The right. So that was my approach, but that was clearly everyone else's approach. <laughs> so yeah. we just all, all just froze and said, no, I'm not chasing. I'm not chasing. So we, yeah, we just, yeah, he just was off and he's not a good person to let go. Alex says it's uh, no, once he's got a few yards, that's kind of it, isn't it? Unless there's yeah. something Herculean that you can do. Um, but, uh, and, and, and generally speaking, if you could describe a little bit more about your general experience of the Giro d'Italia, I mean, how did you, how did you actually take it physically? Um, I say fine, but thinking about it, I really, I saw the broom wagon a lot of times actually. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cause I think I, I suppose it was all self-inflicted. I paid for, I think I was in five breakaways. So you can't, you can't just be fine, I suppose with that. And so yeah, I, generally the day after a break, I'd be really suffering and going back through the cars and just, just <laughs> fighting to get through it. But overall it was all right. And in the last week, I felt good, so that was that was a good sign. And then, yeah, I suppose I, I I got home and I was weirdly fine. Normally, after a tour of Britain, would be the hardest race I've ever done, and I'm yeah. written off. I, I like um yeah, <laughs> just like a zombie for a couple of weeks. But I was really just fine after the Giro. I mean, I, I suppose you know, you've kind of answered the question half of the question about you know the fact that you. I mean, you were you were very active. You were in a lot of breakaways, as you just said. You know, you, along with that third place on stage eight, you're top twenty on you know the penultimate stage to Sestriere in that breakaway. And obviously, you know, James Knox was out there or thereabouts around you as well. I remember, you know, there was there's a couple of moments on that fun, on that penultimate kind of well, the last road stage before the TT in, into Milan, where you know you had Teo, you and Knox. All pretty much together. It was quite amazing from a commentator's point of view to see this, you know, this amount of British talent battling yeah. it out in the penultimate stage of the Giro. Were you kind of real? Were you kind of conscious of the kind of moment and the kind of the significance of of the racing going on around you at that point? 
Yeah, I was. When I when uh, Teo and um, Rowan Dennis and Jai Hindley came past, and I thought I need to get on this because this is this is just cool, you know. I'm yeah. like, this is it now. I can I can just ride with them for a bit and get on TV because yeah, it was it that was quite strange to be there, obviously with Teo about to win the Giro. It was pretty, yeah, pretty fun actually. I, did that give you a kind of uh, seeing them come past? And obviously, you'd been away in a break, you know, work, working hard. But did you did you get like a, an extra kind of adrenaline dump to try and stay with him for a bit longer as well? Yeah, well, it was only like a K from the top, but it was a, it was difficult, even just that. And then I just basically did the descent with them and then got dropped again because I was finished. But yeah, it was yeah, it was good. And how and how did you did you manage to? I mean, it's one of the things you that obviously during we were commentating on most of the stages from start to finish, you know, so we get these glimpses of the peloton. But we're in the kind of you say downtime because it was ridden at you know real hard tempo most of the time. There was you know brakes going away, you know, the, the bunch riding at a decent speed for most of the time. But was there any kind of downtime to to use that phrase loosely, where you had an opportunity to chat to guys like Teo and James um, and, and Alex, or did that not really happen too much? No, it didn't. It didn't actually. I, I uh, yeah, that's one thing I thought about it. It was just never, just never easy. You know, like yeah. you would expect it to just go easy. I mean, maybe it was. Maybe I was just just suffering. But like, even at one point, we, it, it had been a really up and down day, and and they smashed it down every descent. And I was really just, I just hate the descending really, and just basically found just been suffering up the hills and down the hills to keep up and then I knew we finally were going to come onto a massive dual carriageway and block headwind and I was just looking forward to it all day all day <laughs> and uh, we got onto it and I went back to the car and I was just fed up of having you know energy gels and stuff and I, I asked them if I could have some normal food so as food so I stole the DS's sandwich <laughs> Right, and it, and it was just so hard. It, I don't know how who was on the front and what how they were doing it, but it was just a block headwind, and I just could not eat this sandwich. It was impossible. <laughs> it was like four hundred watts just in the. Water. I don't understand it. Because <laughs> you're right, though. Because you know, if you generally, you know, on a stage like that, any kind of race, especially in the stage race, when you know there are going to be hopefully opportunities to recuperate and recover. Um, You've been riding your bike long enough to know that generally that will happen. But um, and a block headwind on a wide road generally is is the best opportunity to just sit in the wheels and hardly and just feather the pedals, isn't it? Yeah. But um, but it, uh, what's can you remember roughly what stage it was? No, no, I can't remember. I just remember I was at the back with Dibbon and I and I just said this has ruined my sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course, John Dibbon was uh, the other Brit as well that was racing. And, and what was the? Can you remember? Uh, the hardest. What was the? Can you remember that? Does one moment stick out for you in the Giro d'Italia? Because when I rode it, it's, there was a couple of moments that I can still remember now vividly, uh, like it was yesterday that I was just in so much pain. <laughs> can, can you remember any? Is there a particular couple of moments? Because I know how brutal that race was. Um, that you think, yeah, that this is like pushed me to the very limits of of uh, of my kind of ability. Yeah, the um, the day. The day after the first break I was in, obviously anyone could take a jersey at that point. So I thought, right, I'm going to get in the break again the next day. Okay. So I did an hour flat out and so did everyone else because everyone was thinking the same. Yeah. And um, 
sort of kept getting away. So then I'd go even harder to, and commit to it even more. And then basically after an hour, I'd I'd tried as hard as you can possibly try, and then and then it was sort. Of, I don't know why it must have been like a big break or something, but it just didn't slow down, and I was. I really thought I was out of the race that day. I just was backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, just <laughs> just riding my own, own race, but using the cars as much as I could. <laughs> I mean, you, you laugh about it, but it's hell, isn't it? And oh yeah, I was you, blown, you, like a blown like I I wanted to just stop, and <laughs> it, I don't know, just I, just I had no no energy at all. Like I couldn't. There was no no amount of food could fix it. <laughs> what were the what your teammates like or what were the i know um i spent a lot of time in the convoy again in the duro as well um and um but you kind of it's your t- it's your team managers and the mechanic and stuff in the car talking to you sometimes and giving you a bit of an encouragement i mean uh obviously um english is spoken in lot i know that although it's a belgian team but did they interact with you much or were you just in your own little world uh yeah they did i've just sort of Pass them and take a can of coke, and then pass them again and going backwards, take another can of coke. It was just there was not much they could do for me. I was beyond that, just <laughs> trying to trying to keep pedaling. And, and did you ever? I mean, in the like date, would was there a point in the race where you would kind of wake up? And for me, it was about stage eleven or twelve, and swing your legs out of the bed, and you could, and your legs were so sore you could hardly walk. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't get that I suppose no fair enough so I mean so you come out you come out of the Giro I mean uh, that was pretty much it for the the season but you did you did go on because you were you were going to ride the world championships but you were poorly weren't you yeah I got I got a cold so um, yeah I got a coronavirus test to make sure it wasn't that and then um, oh sorry the dog's just come in oh, right. <laughs> and what's, what's the dog's name Ruby, she's a sausage Ruby. dog, and she's absolutely tiny. She's oh right, okay. You have to you have to send us a little photo of, of um, after the pod, yeah, uh, which we can use in the social with you and your laptop and Ruby. That'd be quite nice. People love a dog picture, don't they? Yeah, they do. We keep her off Instagram because uh, yeah, just I don't know. Seems like <laughs> everyone's got a sausage dog, so. <laughs> I, do, I saw a little one outside Poundland the other day and it had a little uh, puffer jacket on. So cute, mate. Really, really cute little yeah. dog in the, in the snow. Because there's little little plinky eyes. There's something, um, yeah, they are ridiculously cute. They kind of melt your heart, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> but um, so, and then, because you, you went to Tokyo, didn't you? You, you rode the uh, the Olympic test event and did really well. You're fourth there. So um, was that the actual course that we're going to see at the, well, hopefully see at the Olympics? It was most of it, yeah. It was um, we didn't go to the loop of Mount Fuji, so we missed like two two half hour long climbs. Um, but it was still hard enough. It was, yeah, it's really extreme. I didn't, I never, I never ever thought that Japan was hot, but it's, it's yeah, it's not like anywhere I'd ever been before. So and it finished on the uh, the motor racing circuit, didn't it? So what I mean, what was your obviously you didn't ride the two climbs and that's going to factor in, but what's your kind of assessment on the type of race it's going to be then? What, what would you, um, what kind of ride do you think it's going to suit? Uh, I'm not sure really. Cause it's, it seems like you, you don't, you know, you after riding it, you'd say you need a, to be a tiny little climber, but I bet someone, someone really big, like Peter Sagan would win it. I don't know how, if he could get himself over the last hill. Um, yeah. But it's it is crazy hilly. It's like 
like two hours constant uphill from the start up this valley and then loads of five, ten minute little climbs and then even on the motor racing circuit it's 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 all up and down and then it's like the best way I can describe the final climb is it's like three times up when it's passed but just constant. Just non stop. So really? Yeah, it's so it's as steep as when it, it's steep as when it's in the middle. Yeah, it's like flipping heck, and it's like horrible concrete, rough surface. It's really hard. Yeah, flipping heck. Yeah, so it, it sounds it, like it yeah. Really a, it, it was didn't feel like a bike race when we got to that point. We just <laughs> we were just all riding really slow, as hard as we could. And I remember I was with some guy. I don't know who. I think he might have been a Belgian. And I just said, oh, he was just creeping off, and I just said, "Just stay with me, please." <laughs> Just <laughs> two of us. Just don't leave me. Flip it, heck. That does sound. That does sound brutal. But again, you know, your fourth place does show. You've described that course as just not not a proper. So basically, the grippier the better. That's that's right up your alley, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's probably a step too far for me. I think we've got some better riders for that. I mean. Obviously, the, the team were happy with you. You had a two-year deal anyway, but the, the team were happy with, I would imagine, happy with the way that you rode. Um, you got that win at the start of the year, third place in the Giro. I mean, what have the, what have the discussions been in terms of the type of rider that you are and the, the type of racing program that you're going to be looking at? I mean, um, fingers crossed. I mean, there have already have been a few cancellations, but on the assumption that we get a relatively normal season, obviously crowdless, but what sort of program are you looking at now based on, on how you performed in uh, 2020? Um, pretty much what I was going to do last year, if, if it goes ahead. I was supposed to do a couple of races in Spain, which have already been cancelled. And then I think the plan was to just do like um, the Hilly Ardennes Classics and then the Giro, basically. Right, okay. And then I've not thought beyond that. Um, but at the moment, I can't get anywhere. I've missed the training camp and... It's not. I don't really know if I'll be able how how easy it'll be to get to to these races. Yeah, it's not. I mean, let's not put too much of a downer on the pod, mate. But it's not. It's not looking good at the moment, is it? Um, the way that borders are being closed, um, left, right, and centre. It's not the greatest situation at, at all. But uh, um, so I guess. I mean, out of all the races you you, you started last year, um, let let's take out your win because that's obviously a bit of an obvious one. You know. W- what race, even the stage, obviously, of the Giro has stuck with you the most? What was your kind of the most enjoyable day for you on a bike in, in 2020? Uh, it was the day before the Stelvio Pass day. I don't know what stage it was or where we were in Italy, but it was okay. just really nice because, again, I tried to get in the breakaway, failed, and then ended up in the back group, um, which was pretty massive. And we just had a really nice bike ride in the mountains. It was really nice right. weather. <laughs> <laughs> we went so slow up the hills and then just raced down the descents and rode quite hard on the flats. It was just a nice, yeah, really good day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's funny, isn't it? That because you know most racing, especially that kind of the the level it is now. I mean, uh, you do, when I was riding, there was there was a lot of piano, so and it was very controlled. Obviously, it was flat stick the last half or the last third of the stage. And some stages were flat stick from the off, but there were there was actually quite a lot of opportunity to kind of see the scenery. But if you're racing flat out, you, there's no really, I guess there's not that many opportunities to actually really soak up the surroundings. And that sounded like it was a day where you could do that and enjoy the experience of riding your bike, which is why you race in the first place, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And and what are your thoughts on on kind of Italy uh, as, a, as a country? What's your kind of favourite country to race in? 
Oh, I've not really raced in many countries. I've basically just done Italy to death this year. I did backwards <laughs> and forwards. So I've seen I've seen Italy now. I'd like to try some other countries. I mean, so look look into the future, Matt. What do you? I mean, the team. You're clearly a rider that likes the attritional sorts of races, but what? ultimately would you kind of uh, like to achieve in, in your career what, what what kind of races that you think you could excel at oh i'm not sure i, I need to try them all really try do some more do some more races i always think i'd like to win a national title like you've done uh, yep. yeah and then beyond that i don't know I'd try and win a stage of a grand tour now I'm, i know that's sort of doable yep it's hard to it's hard to say really I mean, the, over the last, when I mean, we've talked about your, the early days of you riding a bike and riding with kind of Madison Genesis and moving up to world tour level and clearly, you know, finding your feet very, very early indeed, you know, you, you, you know, that you've got definitely got the capacity. I mean, are you someone who like year on year has found, especially at your age now, what you're 26, 27 now, do you kind of generally find that coming out of the winter, you, you feel like a different rider or do you kind of you know, do you physically feel just that little bit stronger? Um, Have you kind of know? I I I kind of notice it as a as a just going through the kind of first kind of five or six years in my twenties. I did kind of notice that I could definitely there was a physiological kind of change. I just wondered if you've kind of felt that. Yeah, I suppose. I, yeah, actually, I suppose, especially after a year of of world tour racing, I am definitely a bit different. Yeah. Mm. I mean, and and. Is that just generally just the kind of confidence? I mean, um, that you've kind of. I mean, do, do you in, you clearly enjoy? I mean, you, you're you're kind of a man of few words in many ways, but you, and you let the bike do the talking. But do you, you know, do you like the feeling of riding in a big team and and having that kind of win? Do you kind of does that give you kind of this kind of in, uh, extra level of kind of enthusiasm? Um, I don't think so, but apparently it's changed the way I wave at people. <laughs> 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 wave now, so I have to so, say that again. So it's changed the way you wave at people. Yeah, well, like my girlfriend rides as well, and yeah, she says, "What are you doing? Showing off? Just waving, you know, waving your arms around, you know, you know, do you know what I mean? Sort of giving a big wave, but as if you're not supposed to do that." Right. Okay. Well, I think you can wave how you want. I mean, about I've never thought of a yeah. I've, I've never really kind of had anybody criticise my wave before, but there you go. Maybe she knows. Well, she says, um, yeah, she says it's like, hey, look at me. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, is it? Have you? Have you? Although it's, you know, it's a, you've chosen, you know, a, a brutal kind of profession. You know, it doesn't take many prisoners at all. But um, have you? Did you enjoy last year as much as you could because of, of the way the season was? Did you, how do you kind of look back on last year? Was it a lot of fun? Was it um, like you expected it to be, or was it very different? Uh, I suppose it was like I expected it to be. It was. It was hard. It was at the, at the start, especially when I wasn't feeling very good. Um, yeah, it was. It was hard. It's. Um, but I suppose like any any new job, I'd gone from basically. <laughs> Riding with my mates for six years, and then and then going to a team that's I don't really know anybody. So in that way, it was a it wasn't so much fun. But by the end of it, once I got to know everybody, it was it was it was good. It was just the same, really. And I guess you know, get, not a guess. I mean, getting that big win so early, early on. That I mean, without a shadow of a doubt, that would have changed the team's kind of perception of you as well. I mean, clearly you know, more than good enough to be in the team. But to to kind of deliver that sort of result so early on, 
did you did you notice a change with the, the way the team were with you? But I suppose you'd only been with them so, for such a short period of time that um, I mean, how did the team kind of react to that win? Uh, I'm not sure they expected it. I suppose, yeah. Um, but yeah, they were from from the start. They sort of based on power testing. I suppose they they gave me a lot of a lot of freedom to race for myself and, and they, they thought I could ride for GC and, and things in the races that we did. So it didn't really change much. I, I, I basically went in able to race for myself and, and, and that just sort of confirmed that, that they can just let me race for myself a bit. So, and, yeah. and what's your relationship with the, with Mark Sargent and, and, and the team managers? I mean, is it a pretty harmonious one? Is it a nice, describe the atmosphere and the kind of, uh, the kind of ideology about riding in a in a Belgian team. Um, I suppose I'm I'm I feel like I'm sort of out the loop a bit, especially now after a big after a long winter and missing the training camp and stuff. So I need to I need to try and get get over there, get to Europe, and make sure I, I get to these early races to yeah feel like I'm part of it again. But um, yeah, it's uh. Yeah, I suppose it's. Been, I I haven't um, really mixed with the whole team. We've just been in our our three sort of bubbles, and and I've just been in the Italian team, so I know them really well. But I still don't know two thirds of the team. Yeah, I suppose because last year was so extraordinary in many ways. You kind of you look at the race program, and and even now teams are still training in kind of ahead of this season. You know, are training in bubbles, aren't they? Yeah. Well, we did. If I had gone out, we were split into three groups, which was like uh, classics guys, sprinters and climbers. And I was in the climbers group, which I was sort of dreading because the climbers group was basically all the guys straight out of under 23 who were mad keen and they were going <laughs> to be definitely the hardest group. But yeah, right. I, I couldn't make it anyway. So, so do you, I mean, tentatively, what is the first race? I mean, on the assumption that you can get over and what what is the first race on your schedule, mate? Well, I, I don't do because it's so difficult. They've basically wiped my schedule. We have a, a website where we can where they basically put our race program, and mine's just a white page. <laughs> no. Oh God, uh, I'm really sorry. So I mean, races. It's just they they're not committing to anything yet. Sure. I mean, and because of that, because you haven't really got a definitive kind of point when you when you're going to start racing. How are you? Are you? You sound like quite an upbeat pragmatic kind of guy i mean i've met you a few times but what how are you kind of coping with that are you just like right i'm just going to keep training or are you getting a little bit is always some negative thoughts kind of creeping in or are you like more of a pragmatist like this is what it is i'm just going to do my job and when the racing comes it will come yeah it's fine it's no different really to the all the time i've done in britain you know i wouldn't race until the start of march and i'd just do pimbo and do a really slow build up to to racing in britain so it's i'm i'm used to it really it's i, I quite like having the time to train i sort of i almost feel like it's it's a good thing because i need i just um feel like i make the gains in training anyway so if i have more time before we start racing the then it's uh it's not a bad thing and uh oh pimbo flipping neck that was um there was the was it the north the northwest racing league i kind of uh a, a 
race around Pimbo's great. It's like an industrial estate, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's the it's the grimmest place <laughs> on earth, probably for a bike race. But that's my local race. It's about a mile and a half, probably in a straight line from mum and dad's house. It really is it that? I mean, I've raced there a lot. And um, back in the day, like in the late noughties, with like Rob Hales and those kind of guys used to come up because I was obviously not too far away. And I remember racing at Pimbo once and coming down the the, the back seat because. The finishing straight is on the slight drag up, up, isn't yeah. it? And then you then you go left, and it kicks up a little bit, doesn't it? Then it's quite a fast back straight. Well, a dog ran into the bunch, <laughs> and um, it just got run over loads of times. Oh. Uh, this little Jack Russell, but it still survived and managed to barrel out. It came in one. I think it came into the peloton from the left, got knocked about and bounced around. Nobody fell off. It was incredible. Then it it legged it back the same way it came, and it was amazing. It was. <laughs> <laughs> but um pimbo i did one i did one uh i think it was bash all eaves maybe. oh yeah um where a horse did a fosby flop you know like a high jump yeah <laughs> came we obviously scared it and it ran with us and then just jumped a fence but only half jumped over it hit it with its back legs and fell in the road and then yeah ran with us that's a grippy circuit bash all eaves isn't it that's yeah. really grippy good looks again have you have you won round there no, no, I've not won much. I've won Pimbo locally just before. <laughs> one Pimbo then went world tour. So, <laughs> what a way! Well, it shows. I mean, all the all the good riders have won Pimbo. I mean, you look at there was some big big winners. Did you? Was it? What was your salute at Pimbo? Was it a two armor? Oh no! Or was it, it one arm? It was much like my my win at uh, Willunga Hill, just flat out, <laughs> <laughs> straight across. Because you you didn't manage to put your did you manage to put your arm up at Wollonga? No, nothing. Because I, I didn't believe it would happen. I, I've so many times, like I've even I've even won a race and been disqualified. I'm sure for putting my hands in the air. So I just <laughs> there. <laughs> just sprinted and kept sprinting. I mean, I know you've probably been asked a million times. That's why I've kind of shied away from the Malunga question. But um, I mean, it was a remarkable victory. And, and um, you're, you're not on social media much, but you posted that really lovely picture of the trophy. I mean, because it was, I mean, and I remember seeing an interview with you afterwards uh, and you were kind of just like, almost like in a, a state of disbelief. I mean, do you often think about that win and look back and think, flipping it, I did win that. And that was a, a big, big win. Do you reflect on it much? Uh, no, 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 I don't actually. I suppose it's, it's almost exactly a year, so it's been on on social media a lot. Uh, yeah, people tagging me in photos and stuff. And yeah, it seems strange to see me all just see pictures of me. It doesn't look like me. I don't feel like that at the moment. <laughs> really tanned and just racing. It's, I couldn't couldn't be further from it. I think, but yeah, it's strange. Fair enough, mate. Fair. Enough. And um, again, just I'm just looking back at some of your um, just some parallels. In relation to kind of, I mean, you were you won the mountains, didn't you, in the Junior Tour of Wales, a race that I've, that I've done a right in, and another one that um, that was changed. I mean, it's one of one of my favourite races. Again, one of my few races that I managed to win was the Manx International. Yeah, uh, but it was a was it a three day or four or was it a four day when you did it? It was a three day actually. Right, or, and, it was three day with two stages. Yeah, me and, and, and one. Uh, Two each, I think. Yeah. And that final stage that you won, awful weather. Yeah. Did you do? Did you do the full three laps? Uh, we did. Uh, I think we did. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I, I do love the Isle of Man. I mean, it's it's a cracking circuit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I like it. Yeah. It was. Um, I think it's 
I think it's one of my. It's a shame that it's kind of um, obviously last year's wiped out, but hopefully it can come back as a permanent event because I think it was one of the most. It, it's kind of one of the along with the Lincoln Grand Prix, obviously the Nationals. It's one of those kind of classics, isn't it, of the UK, uh, the UK scene. Yeah, yeah. We're going to wrap things up. You've been great, mate. It's been really lovely to talk to you, um, and really lovely to kind of see your dog as well. Yeah. Um, although we heard your dog, uh, but we're going to wrap things up with another quiz. It's guess that snack. Guess that snack. Guess that snack. Oh yeah, guess that snack. <laughs> right, Matt. Have you ever listened to the podcast before? I've not. No, I should have. Sorry. That's all right, mate. Don't don't worry. It's don't don't worry at all. Um, guess that snack is pretty much what it says on on the tin or on the packet. I've got four well-known snacks, and I'm, I'm going to tell you what they are. Once I've done that, I'm then going to eat them. I'm going to crunch them into the microphone, and you've got to guess based on the sound what the snack is. Okay. Okay. All right, mate. Um, so I've got four snacks. Um, you can hear them. They're fresh. Um, a couple I had in my cupboard already, and a couple of what I got from Poundland. Um, so, first up, Pringles. Okay, so Texas barbecue sauce Pringles. It's a fresh packet. Going to open those now. They're ready. Okay, we've got also got Watsits. You know, you, you yeah. are you are you a Watsit fan? Uh, not really. No, I know what they are. Not really. Okay, that was a direct answer. Why don't you like Watsits? I'll probably do it. Don't buy them. (laughs) What's it? Uh, Then we've got um, toffee popcorn. Okay. So basically regular popcorn coated in like a a toffee coating. Okay. Yeah. And then finally, Doritos. Are you a snack fan or not? You're not really a snacker. Yeah. Yeah. So these are flame grilled steak doritos okay so in no particular order i'm now going to place one of these snacks in my mouth you've got to guess what it is so just a reminder we've got what's it's we've got pringles we've got doritos and we've got popcorn okay yeah so here we go first one up mate i'm gonna gonna move microphone a little bit closer um here we go That's a um, Dorito. Yes. Well done, mate. Good lad. This is better. <laughs> Making amends on the Wigan quiz. Um, next up. Next up is this. Here we go. So if you keep that level of concentration, mate, this could be this could be good. I'm just, I'm just trying to think what Hugh Carthy got on the quiz. I think he only got one out of four. So if you can beat Hugh... Uh, another Lancastrian. That could be good. Here we go. It's going in. That's a uh, what's it? It's a what's it? Yes. Here we go. He's not a fan of what's it, but he knows how they sound. <laughs> two out of two for Holmesy. Okay. Next up. Well, basically, is this a piece of popcorn or is this a Pringle? Here we go. That's a piece of popcorn, definitely. It's a piece of popcorn. Superb skills from the Lotto Sudal rider. 
which can it's a, it's a formality basically. I'm just going to pop a pop a Pringle in anyway until you, you can just yeah tell me what it sounds like. Hmm, brilliant stuff. Right, so that was basically a, pr- a Pringle. So four out of four. Congratulations, Matt Holmes. One hundred percent on guess that snack. Well, Matt, thanks so much indeed, mate. Um, how do you feel about um, getting hundred percent and beating Hugh Carthy by seventy five percent on guess that snack? Um, yeah, found something I'm good at. I think I could do that with most things. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you could. I bet I could tell you the difference between Dairy Milk and ga- Galaxy. <laughs> that that might that. That would be, I mean, that's a talent. If you can do that, that's a talent because especially when you need them to be in the fridge, wouldn't you? Because there's a definite texture difference between the two, isn't there? Yeah. Right. You've been great. Thanks very much for chatting, mate. Um, stay safe out riding in the snow and fingers crossed um, that the we get back to some semblance of normality sooner rather than later, mate. Um, and take care of yourself and catch up with you soon. Oh, thanks for having me. Cheers, mate. Bye. That was a lot of fun, and you have to love that dry Macclesfield fused with Wigan wit. I just know he's going to continue to work hard, and the results will certainly keep coming. Thanks to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune, and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate the pod, and why not recommend it to your cycling buddies, or to your DS, if they offer you a sandwich in your hour of need. And finally, a huge thanks again to Matt for being my guest on the pod today. I wish him every success in the coming season and beyond. Thanks all, goodbye, see you soon, and stay safe. Mm-hmm.